Okay, here's, here's the task in front of us. Uh, we want to spend some time in uh, talking about how do we help people who suffer to suffer well. If you want, if you're going to use some Thessalonians language, you could say, how do we help people in their suffering to suffer with hope rather than to suffer without hope? And I know I'm making some adjustments there, but I think you offer me a little latitude of application. Um, and what does that look like? And there, there's really three premises I'm going to put in front of us as we spend some time in pieces of the Psalms together. Uh, the first premise is going to be that one of the one of the things that the Psalms do for us and for people we minister to is they put words to what's going on inside of us that we sometimes can't find words for. Okay. Uh, and you, you, you've had that experience in a conversation. You know, you're working hard to try to communicate what you're thinking. What, I mean, it can even be just something about how to do something, you know, and you're trying to, and there's not a lot of emotion involved, and you're trying to communicate to someone, and then they speak back to you what they said, but they, what you said, but they use a few different words, and you're like, that's it. The, 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 the Psalms do that to our hearts in the middle of not just how-to, but in the middle of our emotions, uh, so that's the first piece that we're going to look at, that, that the, the psalms give words to our hearts. Then the psalms provide a pattern for normal, uh, normal life of a believer uh, in the middle of suffering. And I'm not, I'm not trying to tear down any dispensational distinctions there, and we're not going to get into a lot of details on that. I'm trying to honor those, and if, you, if you're worried about if I did that well, I'd love to interact with you about that. Uh, but... but, but you find in the Psalms just the inspired, open, transparent hearts of believers uh, on display, and you can look at that and you can say to yourself, "I'm normal," you know. And there, there's some benefit to that, and we'll talk more about that when we get there. And then, and sometimes, I mean, there's also benefit in looking at it and going, "Whoa, I'm not normal," <laughs> because then, what do the Psalms do? The Psalms shepherd us down the path to live that normal life of a believer in the middle of suffering. So those are really the three things we're going to spend time looking at. I'm going to engage you in reading some psalms aloud with me, some, some, some verses from psalms, not whole psalms aloud with me, hopefully to kind of let us, as we read, let some things sink in and ponder them. Okay? Now, first, first before we do that, we'll... Uh, spend a little time with Spurgeon. I didn't put on the screen a part of the quote I want to consider initially. Spurgeon talking about the Psalms, he, he laments that in his day, true in ours too, the Psalms were not as much of a focus as they had been. And he actually uh, cites the fact that there were times where one would not be ordained for ecclesiastical office unless they had memorized the Psalms ponder that one. <laughs> a lot of us wouldn't, you know, a lot of you wouldn't have the piece of paper on the wall if that was a requirement, right? When I, I'm, wow. Uh, but the, the, just the level of the importance of the Psalms, and he uses these words, okay, express all modes of holy feeling for childhood, for a whole age, for coming into life, for leaving life, wings and words, mounting and singing, and the, the psalm, some psalms, some psalms don't have the inertia, that leaves you uh, gazing on God. Think Psalm 88. Psalm 88 ends, depending on your translation, it ends like, uh, darkness is my closest friend, end of the song. Uh, Whoa, try singing that on Sunday morning. Um, uh, Sometimes people are singing that on Sunday morning, whether we're singing it with them or not. Uh, And so just some really good reminders. So first, first premise, or first... Uh, thing to say is the Psalms give words to the heart cries of the sufferer. The Psalms give words to the heart cries of sufferer, sufferers. So here's what I want to do. You've got it in front of you in little print. We got it on the screen in little bigger print. We're not going to read references. Not that those are unimportant, but we're not going to read references. But I want to just read through these verses from Psalm, different Psalms together. And as we read them together, I want you to, you know, to stay engaged, that's hard, right before lunch, but stay engaged, consider the words, consider the emotions that the words represent, and then maybe I'm giving you too much here, but just for a moment, I want you to consider 
if a person was sitting across the desk from you saying this, what would you think you would need to say first to them? Okay. Now I will tell you, the, I, I added in at the end of this a, one of the Psalms of Thanksgiving to kind of just lift us out of that after reading all that we will read. But if you just, just read with me and I will try to keep you know, technology, I will try to keep it so we can stay flowing with. Let's just read these together. Okay. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? My God, God. I have you forsaken me. I oh, did I do I have different translation in front of you than's on the screen, or does it match? I'm sorry, I interrupted our thoughts. I thought I checked that more verse. Well, then stay with the screen. I'm sorry, I must have forgot. I must have forgot to cut and paste. I updated my PowerPoint for this session. Shame on me. Okay, so let's just stay with the screen. I'm sorry. Let's start again. Okay, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Now, consider your own experience in reading those verses, and uh, we'll come back around to think about, with the exception of this last verse, if a person was sitting across the desk from you and that was the cry of their heart, what what would you feel obligated to say to them first? So let's make some observations, some considerations. Don't miss this. Crying out to God is an expression of faith. Just addressing Humbly, your heart's complaints to God is a statement that he is there. There is a lady who's with the Lord now that the Lord gave me opportunity to spend a fair amount of time with on the path of life who had experienced interpersonal relationship difficulties, physical body debilitating difficulties that the recipe is like unlikely to be found in any one person too often in life. And uh, one day, she, she, I, I, I got to know her well enough to know. She called me up. She said, would you have some time in the next couple of weeks so we could sit down and talk? And that was code for, I'm not doing well. Can we talk? And, you know, some people, okay, next couple of weeks, you know you're safe. And she was like, oh, I said, I've got time this afternoon. Can you stop by? Uh, and she stopped in, and she talked about getting bad news again on another one of her medical conditions and sitting in her rocking chair, single lady, never been married, sitting in her rocking chair uh, in, her, in her little town home all night long, uh, wrestling with God, talking to God, a little arguing with God. Uh, the sun was coming up, Bible in her lap, and she, uh, she's, she was very descriptive. I enjoyed that about her. So she probably spent 20 minutes talking me through what had gone on that night. Uh, and she said, the sun was coming up, and I just sat there in my chair. and said, okay, it's a day. I've got stuff I need to do today. Uh, I don't really have any choice but to keep moving forward. And the next thing she said to me is, Jeff, what's wrong with me? And the most important thing I said that day was nothing. Because where was she? She was in the morning. Son was coming at Bible open in her lap, still talking to the Lord. And I said, I know people, and I've been with people, who if they were you, they would have stayed up all night like that when the sun was coming up, rather than saying, okay, I just need to keep trusting, they would have literally taken their Bible, closed it, thrown it across the room, and said, I'm done. You're okay. I wish you, I wish you weren't okay in the way you're okay. And then we spent some time talking about there will be a day when okay is amazing. And, and the, Psalms, the Psalms help people to see just opening my mouth in a humble conversation with him, even about hard stuff, 
is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. And then there are times where a person just can't find words for their heart. Uh, and just spending some time in the Psalms gives them words. And it, it's not a bad homework assignment. You've got to explain it well, because they're like, why am I doing this? But, but just, just start, and maybe you, have, maybe you have know them well, hopefully you know them well enough that you can kind of pick some Psalms that you think might be helpful to them. And just, just this week, just read you know, these two Psalms once a day, and where, where does your heart resonate with what's being said? You learn about a person that way, too, because, you know, you, you, you read the word, duh, you read the word with your heart actively engaged. I'm not a journaling guy. I'm just not. When I journal, it's three or four lines in a little tiny notebook, and it's usually when I'm just, like, a little confused, and I'll do that for a month. I'm like, okay. And I have a few of those left over, and I go back and look at what I wrote down and highlighted, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was where my heart was. And I was writing down scripture, but I was writing down that scripture, not that scripture. Uh, and that's not a necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, so you learn about the person as they come back and talk to you about how their heart resonated with the Psalms. And then, okay, now I'm going to, I don't even hardly know you. In fact, some of you I don't know at all, and, and I'm going to start meddling with you a little bit, but... You go back to some of those psalms we read, and if you had a person in front of you who was saying, you know, God's forsaken me, I don't get why, and I'm just discouraged, cast down all the time, and you know, it, the, the, uh, the psalms in the 40s there, can't remember the exact address right now, you know, why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in the Lord, and then the reason to hope, and then why am I cast down? Hope in the Lord. What do you think you would say to the person? And... It's not all you say to a person on the whole path of life, but we would do well to remember that Job's counselors did really well till they opened their mouths. Uh, and and just, to, just to listen and ask more questions. I said in the last session, we, we need to, it, it, we just naturally think, what am I going to say that I will seek to help? And that's not a bad thing to think, and we have to think that, but ahead of that, we ought to be thinking, what more do I need to know? What more do I need to listen to? What more questions do I need to ask to understand this person so that I'm connecting the word to their life rather than just speaking a good word out of the wrong, in the wrong season? Uh, and so uh, you just don't, and, and most of us don't go into this intending to minimize a person's suffering. And most of us generally, genuinely, sorry about that, want to help. But having a pace to listening to a person in the midst of their suffering is hard. I mean, given a choice, if you could choose, which would you rather do, carry on a conversation who's experiencing Psalm 100 or carry on a conversation with somebody who's experiencing Psalm 88? Given a choice... Psalm 100, every day, right? We don't get to make the choice. And God's ordering the choice of the people he puts in front of us, not just because they need to grow. Because we need to grow, too. Uh, and so a, a patience, and um, a, a patience in that. Okay, now, second, oh, I've, I've got some quotes along the way that reinforce this. I'm not going to spend much time here. Uh, in, in a setting like this, you are always you always have this desire to give a bunch of caveats for every source you use, so I'm just going to give one blanket caveat, and you know this already, but don't make the assumption that because I'm using a source, I would agree with everything in the source, and certainly don't make the assumption that since I'm using the author of the source, that I would agree with everything the author of the source says. I thought what I've put in front of you is valuable, uh, and that's what I'm putting in front of you, but I have plenty of arguments with myself, even, uh, from time to time, let alone with other people. Uh, but I, want, I do want to commend to you the second article here. There's an article called Exalting Pain, Ignoring Pain, What Do We Do With Suffering? by Ed Welch. It's in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can get access to that. It's, it's a well, an article well worth reading. You have to be careful when you start the article. He, is, he builds stereotypes and speaks in a hyperbole of extremes in counseling, and he labels it sin counseling and pain counseling. And I will warn you, it will provoke your emotions. And so if you start reading and in your provoked emotions, you're like, I'm not going to read this, then you'll miss out on the good stuff. And just stop and think a minute how your emotions are provoked because it probably teaches you something about yourself. 
uh, in spite of whether you would have provoked emotions in the same way he did. But he says some good things. You know this. Sufferers tend to feel alone and isolated. They often think that God's far from them. But God speaks into that isolation and helps us to put that into speech. Uh, When I was a young man, I had an old person's challenge and had a surgery. Dear Marcia here was a part of that with my kids and walking through that. And I was prepared for a lot of things because it wasn't it was it was needful and it really needed to happen, but it wasn't like emergency. Uh, so I had time to think about how am I getting ready for this? What's going to happen? What's going to go on? I was not prepared for how alone you feel. I mean, my wife cared for me well. People cared for me well, but there's just something about going through the kind of pain that I was going through, and and just you know, and nobody else. Parallel. I was shocked about this myself. No, nobody else is doing this, having the same experience in the same way. And they were caring for me. But there's times where it was just really lonely. And there's times in that kind of loneliness where you start to want to pass judgment on someone and how they're really trying to care for you when they're really genuinely doing it. But it just doesn't feel like it. And the, the Psalms just sort of pull you along in that. Second, uh, second piece of the puzzle here. Uh, and there's, uh, I'll admit there's a little blending of number two and number three together. The way I said to you number two in the introduction is the Psalms give us a template for normal. What does it look like to suffer well? What does it look like to suffer with hope? And I'm not going to have you read these. I'm going to leave the Psalms for a little bit because I want to kind of see this cross scripture and make a few points with it. I, I suspect you are too. I'm just like really captured with this prayer of, of Christ in the garden, this, this re- repetitious prayer. And you have, you, know, you have this statement he makes to the disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Uh, and then you have this begging of the Father to let the cup pass from me. It's another place for me to say, because I think all of us need to be drawn up short on this. If, if these were the words that came out of the mouth of someone we were counseling, what would we feel compelled to say to them? Or maybe even a worse way to put us, you know, a better way to put us in, in a corner is, what would we conclude about the person? I mean, do you think, would you think that someone sitting in front of you could say, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death, if there's any way to not go through this, I want another way and not be a sinner? Or not be sinning in that. That's a better way for me to say it. Not be sinning in that. It's right in front of us, right? Now, uh, I left off the last part. You know, the, the, the key foundation there is, I, you know, I can be sorrowful to death. I can be begging God to let me escape this. But at the end of the day, am I going to submit to his will or am I going to demand my own? And so the, the Psalms show what normal. I, I can tell you, I, uh, I've, uh, I've been with people and walked through that passage where they're like um, convinced that they have turned their back on the Lord because their prayers look and sound like that. And when you open up the word with them and you show them their Savior prayed like that, the level of hope that it builds in them. Now, you, you have to make sure that you're not serving that to somebody whose prayers aren't like that. You understand what I'm saying. But boy, it is, it is just, it's, a, it's a place where your own faith increases when you see the word minister to people. And then you, you have the Apostle Paul. Uh, I, think, I think people tend to read past some of these things. So 2 Corinthians, okay, we had this trouble in Asia. Nobody really knows for sure what it is, lots of good theories. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. We ought to be able to talk about that as much as we talk about there's no temptation is taking you, but just as common to man. You, you got to hold those two together with people. You have to. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, pretty heavy words. And he gives a purpose. So there's, this is, this, you know, there's not a lot of passages that put it all in just a, a close address to one another. But, you know, this deep stuff, we are burdened beyond measure, we are above strength, we despaired of life. But how do I interpret that suffering? How do I interpret that situation? Paul says, my interpretation of that, which is God's interpretation, is he's sovereignly, providentially working that along for the purpose of turning more and more of my trust away from self and more and more of my trust towards God. 
And if you doubt whether he's capable and worthy of that trust, Paul says he's the guy who raises the dead. Uh, and it's a good, I mean, it's a good model, pattern for us. What does it look like normal uh, to suffer well? I, I can feel this experience and feel it deeply and then interpret it rightly. And it's not like, okay, now, cool. No heaviness, no despair anymore, no, no, no weight. But I can in that say, okay, the, the goal here is for me to trust the Lord and if he never puts me in a place where I'm incapable of that, because he protects me from that kind of suffering, uh, then I, I've, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a template here. I've got a normal here. And then even a step farther, you know, these glorified, well, not, yeah, in the presence of the Lord, under the altar, martyrs of the tribulation, are calling on God to avenge them in heaven, already there. And, you know, there, there, there's a right place that we talked about this more in the last hour. There's a right and appropriate place for people to desire God to act in justice in another person's life, even if that is because of the way they sinned against them. There's always a wrong place to take vengeance into your own hands, Romans 12. By the way, when you think about Romans 12, you know, if, uh, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Uh, your enemy hungers feed him, thirst, you know, and all those things. Talking about that without talking about the character of God that Romans 12 talks about, I'll say it a little strongly, it's a bit nonsensical. Because what, what's, what's, what's the character, what's that all rest on in the character of God? God makes promises and he keeps promises and, take, and has responsibilities and he takes them. I'm a God of vengeance. Vengeance belongs to me. Uh, don't take it over yourself. It's, a, it's one of the big ways to help people talk and think about bitterness in their lives. Uh, now, here's where I want you to read with me. Um, and again, we'll stay on the screen. I'm really sorry for that. Oh, things that look really good in your office don't look really good when you put them in front of people. Anyway, you've never had that experience. Uh, so, so listen to yourself again as you read uh, what, what kind of normal suffering, whether it's just life in a fallen world or that fallen world has a person's name on it, what normal suffering looks and sounds like. Okay, let's read together. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Sorry for the translation differences there. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. Therefore, we will not fear. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your words. Okay, so what happens? The Psalms shepherd us to see that trust grows in the green pastures and in the valleys of darkness, in the valleys of the shadow of death. And then the Psalms remind us that it is the normal and good experience of a believer to have God blend together wisely, lovingly, with only our good in his heart, the blessings and burdens of our life with a purpose to capture more of our heart's trust for him. Aren't you really glad that the Lord didn't leave us to ourselves to make sense out of our suffering? You know, and um, yeah, now we, we go to Hebrews 12, uh, okay, what, when, when I'm chastened in my life, what does that mean? It means I belong to him. 
And you know, some people struggle. They they interpret the suffering of their life as an indication that God's against them, or maybe I'm not this or I'm not that. And the only way you can rightly interpret your suffering is to let God interpret it. Um, and the experience of think about this one, and you can push back against me a little bit because this is still a bit formative in my own heart and thinking, but. The experience of pain is really not different for a believer and an unbeliever in kind of a trite illustration. I mean, you, you put your thumb under a hammer and you know, do something to it. There isn't like one place believers go for that and another place unbelievers go to that. But explanation and purposes and meaning of that is a whole lot different, uh, a whole lot different uh, in our lives. And only only way we can make sense out of that is from God's word. Uh, and then uh, there, there's always this connection made between our trust in the Lord and his character and promises. Uh, a lot of places to grab from here in Scripture. So I'll, I'll just make the statement, and then I'll anchor it in some Scripture places. So we have a God who makes promises to people, and he keeps the promises he made to the people he makes them to in the same way he makes them. He just doesn't keep them on their timetable, right? Hebrews 11, these all died in faith not having received the promise. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to suffer yourself, okay? It is. For someone you love, it's excruciating to watch them suffer. Excruciating. I remember, I remember when my daughter had a miscarriage. If I could have walked into the street and been run over by a truck to deliver her from that, I would have done it. Just horrible, hard stuff. Has God used that in her life for some wonderful things? You bet he has. You bet he has. Um, do you at times go, wasn't there another way? Uh-huh. Can you say that with an open hand rather than a clenched fist? Yep, you can say that. Ask God about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Um, it's always anchored in his character. It is not in his character to not keep his promises. And his, 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 his delay has nothing to do with his inability. You know, put that in Peter for a different purpose. It's brought up there. But his delay does not mean he's unable. His delay means he's infinitely wise uh, and infinitely loving. And, he, and he's pursuing a different goal than we are, right? You know, I mean, I... Be honest. I mean, when I'm not doing well, my goal is get me out of here. You know, and, and that's not a bad goal. Not a bad goal. It's in right priority. It gets disordered. It's the seedbed of a lot of ugliness. Um, but my goal is let me out of here. I'm glad his goal is better than that for me. Uh, you know, and when I'm sane. You know, I mean, when, when I'm really hurting, then I'm like uh, wrestling with that. But, but his goal is letting me look more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of that and, and, and become a greater partaker uh, in the expressions of his holiness. Um, then, okay, my last point is always kind of my metal, kind of puts you in a vice point. Um, so we don't get the privilege, which is not really a privilege, actually, of judging believers suffering based on our own experience of suffering or our own agendas for people who suffer. And the Psalms help us to correct our agendas. And, you know, let's face it, okay, there's some of us in the room who are more melancholy, stoic, whatever the word is. And then there's others in the room who are just much more buoyant. And, you know, if you met my wife, you would immediately recognize the contrast in our relationship there. And, you know, each one of those comes along with its own set of temptations when our agendas are not submitted to God. You know, I mean, I might be the guy who would sit longer with someone in their suffering without challenging it than I should be. And people who are more buoyant might be tempted to be a little impatient with people in their suffering. My wife is not that way, but some people would be that way. Uh, and some people just come across that way, even though they don't intend that. And you already know this, you know, as you're helping people, God's changing you. And it's not like you're like this robot who's just doing what you think you should do. You're active and involved and that relationship is a real relationship. There's, there's tons of paper and ink and now all kinds of bits and bytes taken up with articles on what is a counseling relationship supposed to look like. 
is it or isn't it? And and uh, um, you and you watch that change, you know. So you think the typical Freud, where the person was where on a couch, and the person was sitting there beside them. Why? Because the counselor is the expert. And and then what happens when you get to Carl Rogers? You're sitting face to face with each other because we're restoring the dignity of the person and all the, the changes. There, I mean, you're. Your your belief system and your attitudes and actions towards the people come out, whether you uh, plan it that way or not. Um, now, last thing. Oh, sorry, forgot these quotes again. I'm going to just leave that for your consideration. Last thing, take your Bibles to Psalm 63. Uh, the the last point here uh, says it on the screen this way. I'm going to say it a little less. Um, little more uh, succinctly. Uh, the Psalms, they give words to our suffering. Uh, the Psalms give us a template for normal in life in a fallen world, being a finite fallen human being. And then the, the Psalms help move us. Okay, They help move us on the path of greater trust. Now, there are some Psalms where that's really all in one Psalm, like Psalm 73, the Psalm we read part of. You know, Asaph starts with, this is a total, I think this maybe is a total utter waste of time because life is always good for people who don't know the Lord. And then he steps to the dwelling place of God and says, oh, hold on, this isn't the whole story. And you have the whole, and then others, you just get pieces and parts. Psalm 63 has more of a whole look to it. Psalm 51 has a whole look to it when you think about repentance. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time in Psalm 63 as, as an example, okay, as an example of the whole of how do the Psalms embolden trust, how do the Psalms move us to trust, move us to hope in the Lord in concrete and specific ways. I'm not a guy who does this well, but I've been told by 100 people to do it better. So uh, there's a book down in the bookstore called Dependence in the Wilderness, that is based on Psalm 63, Life of David, Life of Christ, that the Lord gave me the privilege of, of authoring. And I would just commend that to you for your consideration uh, as we walk through this. You, it's, uh, you won't be able to find anywhere cheaper than down there. Uh, so it's almost the price I can buy it for. <laughs> anyway, so I might be able to get it for a couple dollars cheaper, but not much. Okay, so let me read the psalm. Oh, let me give context to the psalm. A little bit of discussion, debate about the psalm's context. If I showed you the list of who comes down where, you would respect people on both lists. But is Psalm 63 a psalm written when David was running from Saul uh, into the wilderness or when he was running from Absalom into the wilderness? Uh, my conclusion is it was Absalom, his own son, after him to destroy him because, verse 11, David calls himself the king. And he, I don't think he would have done that with the time of Saul, but uh, there are good people who don't fall on the same path on me as me on that one. So let me read it. O God, you are my God. Early, earnestly will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness or the finest of foods. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you've been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings to you, follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouths of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Now you already know this. The, the outline, the points of the Psalms come in themes and patterns. And if you're a, a guy who likes to see the plan and likes the plan to fit together, you much prefer the epistles because find the verbs and you've got your outline and you're all set. And in the Psalms, you're like, ooh, this is sort of a Caribbean. Uh, no, not really Caribbean, Middle Eastern. But anyway, um, and so, but I tell you, if you're the person who you know likes the three points in a poem, nothing wrong with that, by the way. I was preaching, we would, probably not a poem, but we would look like that. But the Psalms help you to see 
how this works into life. And David has some themes in this psalm. They, there's, a, there's an order to them in the psalm, but there's a, certainly an order to them in, in life too. And the, so in the middle of David's suffering, the first thing that he does is he continues on his commitment, recommits. You can pick the language you want to use there to say all the other things I could seek after, all the other things I could thirst for, all the other things I could hunger for out here in the wilderness. Nope, I'm going to seek God. Early, earnestly, and the, words, the, word, the word is a struggle to translate because it's got all that packed into it. Early, earnestly, and I'm going to seek after you. And you think of the language, wilderness. You know, not many thirsts are satisfied, not many desires are answered, so my soul is going to thirst after you. All these longings. I mean, think about what would be going on in your heart if you're going to adopt my, my premise here. Think about what would be going on in your heart in those times that you're running from Absalom, your own son, running and fleeing uh, from Absalom, your own son. A lot of people stay in loyalty, but you're all off in the wilderness, away from the protection of the walled city of Jerusalem, away from all the symbols of, of God's presence with you. Uh, there'd be a lot going on in your heart. And if you start thinking about looking for a cause for David's suffering here, uh, that's one of, the, one of the things people do in suffering. There's plenty of stuff to land on, right? Because if this is Absalom time, one of the things that takes place during this time is something God said would take place as a part of the consequences of uh, his sin with uh, Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. So David, there's, there's a component of this that's suffering because of David's own sin. There's certainly a big component of this because David's being sinned against. And then when David fled Jerusalem, he didn't flee into the Garden of Eden. He fled into a wilderness, and so there's life in a fallen world, which really does remind us that all of our suffering has all of those components in it. Just sometimes one is a little bit stronger in the recipe than the other. And to only see one of them and not all of them misses the whole picture, and this is helping people, and this is being able to minister the richness of the Word of God to that as well. So David makes this commitment, I'm, I'm going to cling to you, I'm going to follow close behind you. And so, and I'm, I'm going to put it in different language now, so as David works to guard his heart, as David works to keep his desires properly ordered, uh, think New Testament, Matthew, seek first, okay? as David works to keep his desires properly ordered in the midst of a place where your desires could just run rampant, uh, what keeps him centered on that? I'm, I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to thirst after him. I'm going to long for him. And from that resoluteness of heart, where does David go next? Okay, so there is a lot of overflow under the direction of the Spirit of God. There's a lot of overflow of David's meditation in this psalm. And you have meditation of David on the character of God uh, and the works of God. And I'm going to suggest to you that the themes here are the themes that are most likely doubted in the middle of wilderness experiences. So, you know, even, even, just, the, even just the initial statement, oh God, you are my God is this statement of the meditation of David's, David's heart overflowing. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to meditate on you. I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. David is away from all of the symbols of God's power and glory, the tangible reminders of God's power and glory out in the wilderness, and yet he's still saying, okay, I can look back and I can see your power and glory. And then ponder that statement. Your loving kindness is more to me than my very life. You're, you're faithful, committed, unswerving love, promises you've made to me. That just means more to me than my very life. And, boy, you know, that, that's, not, that's not the first place we go in suffering. And David's, sorry for the metaphor here, but it fits. David's shepherding himself before the Lord. Uh, and then, my soul shall be satisfied as with the finest of foods, more literally than with marrow and fatness. That one sounds kind of scary. Uh, but picture this, okay? So David, uh, David is the king. 
within the technological limitations of the storage of food in his day and time. Uh, David could have gotten up in the morning with the whole kingdom at his disposal and decided, I want to have a banquet with these people. These are the foods I want to have and get the order in. And by the end of the day, he's in the, in the lush banquet hall, reclining at the banquet table with his favorite people, having his favorite food. And now he's in the wilderness and he's saying to himself, I'm going to find satisfaction in the Lord that parallels the experience of rising from that table with my favorite people, having my favorite foods, and how satisfying that experience is. What's he doing? I mean, he's, he's taking past promises or promises of God, past expressions of the character of God, and he's reminding himself that what was true in very tangible ways is still true in the ways where I can't find much tangible in my life to cling to in this right now. Um, You've been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Birds out in the wilderness, baby birds in the wilderness, the only protection is mom's wings. And If David's not seeing it on this, this trip into the wilderness, he saw it in all of his time in the wilderness. Those little baby birds being completely protected by mom. And he's like, that's how God is to me. He, he, he brings me under, he shelters me under his wings. I was going through a particularly rough time. Uh, I mentioned the surgery thing. It was at that time I didn't, I didn't listen to my doctor. I was young and thought I was better than everybody else. And so I sort of burnt my energy out after that and needed to slow down. And when I was finally strong enough to ramp back up again, I, you know, I was ready and God wasn't. Go figure that out. Uh, and that created some challenges for me. So I remember coming home from my second of my part-time jobs on a spring day. And there's only one lady in the room, and she knows me, so she will not harm me in what I'm going to say now. I'm driving home. It was one of those spring days where everybody comes out of the woodwork because we're tired of being sheltered at home. And I'm driving home, and I'm wrestling back and forth, but I'm more or less kind of complaining. And I see this mom walking with her kids out on the sidewalk on this beautiful spring day. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I wish my life was like hers. No trouble, no problems, just playing with the kids all day long. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's where your heart goes, right? You know, you create, you, isn't that interesting? You know, your own heart's desires can place interpretations on other people's lives in those times. And uh, I, it, I didn't think about this till one of the many times studying the psalm. And I came to realize that, pretty big reach for Jeff, but if my heart would have been tracking where it should have been that day, I could have looked at mom with her kids and said, Thank you, Lord, for caring for me like that mom does her kids. And my heart was nowhere near that that day. And you, you know, think what David's doing here, okay? The, the, he's t- anchoring his meditation in the truth of the Word of God. Let's say it this way. In, in suffering, we ourselves, the people we minister to, the, the temptation of our hearts is to try to look through the lens of our suffering to somehow bring... God into some level of focus, somehow trying to make some sense out of him, that's like completely backwards, right? Because what happens in the Psalms is the psalmist work to look through the lens of the truth of God's word and make whatever sense they can out of their suffering. And when you do that, you can always make enough sense out of your suffering to trust him. You can't make enough sense out of it to get out of it all the time. You can't make enough sense out of it to put limits on it at times. You can't make enough sense out of it to even stop your heart from screaming at you at times. But you can make enough sense out of it to say, okay, next half step of trust. Uh, And that's what David's doing here. And even even when he ponders the promise of God in relationship to uh, his kingly line, these, those who seek my life to destroy it, however this is going to happen, whether it results in my deliverance now or whatever, they're, 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 they're going to, they're this is going to turn. Uh, he, even then he is using wilderness imagery. They will be, they will be portioned for the jackals. Uh, the, I, gotta, I always have to slow down when I talk about this because I get my words turned around. The jackals are the scavengers of the wilderness, so you know how it works. The predators kill the prey and eat their fill, and the scavengers hide far enough away so they can't be 
sniffed out and become the next prey. And when the predator is full and long gone, what happens? The little frady jackals come out and always looking over their shoulder because they don't want to be the next prey and eating what's left over. And what's David say? God in his promises will win such a victory that those jackals will be able to be full-faced in eating away and not looking over their shoulders. Wow, thank the Lord. It's not where your heart goes naturally in suffering. And so you've got David purposing to seek God, David letting his meditation flow out of that and reinforce that. And then all through the psalm, you have, you have, whoops, I went too, pushed a button one time, I should be patient. Uh, you have David offering praise to God. A lot of language of praise here. Um, you know, my lips will praise you. I'll bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. And it, um, the, the imagery of that is upturned palms. Uh, reading, studying this, it's, it's helpful for Jeff in times where he has his own desires in the middle of suffering to just sit in my lazy boy, having devotions, and start talking to God with my hands like this. It helps me. It helps me to think, you know, okay, the requests I'm making now, God gets to put in my hands whatever he wants to, and he gets to take from them whatever he wants to. And he still is who he says he is, and he will be who he says he is because he cannot be anything but what he says he is, and he cannot do anything that's contrary to his character, uh, and I can trust him. I'm going to lift up my hands in your name. I'm going to praise you with joyful lips. Uh, I'm going to rejoice uh, then he leads people, as he's this example, he leads uh, everyone who uh, is a part of this to rejoice in the Lord. And you see, in the psalm, you hear David offering praise with his words. Uh, when you go back and you rehearse, whether you want to rehearse time of Saul or time of Absalom, you go back and you rehearse um, David's rejoicing, his praise to the Lord that flows out of his actions, there's just some really amazing things there. I mean, this guy who's, this guy who's following David and his entourage out uh, from, the, from the family, uh, and I'm always afraid to pronounce his name because every Hebrew person has their own way of doing that, but Shimei, and if you want to correct me in that. You know. And what's, what's David's general say? You know, he's throwing stones, go away, you bloody man, and David's general says, let me go take off his head. And, you know, in moments, if I was David, it wouldn't even taken words. It would have been just like, I can't wink. So it would have been like a little nod of the head, and it all would have been over. What's David say in that moment? And you've got to sort out, you know, did God tell him? You know, there's things to sort out there. But what David's doing is he's actually putting together truths of the character of God that you just would not put together if your heart wasn't fixed on the Lord. Okay, so David had been used of God to pen psalms that said, God comes close to the sufferer. God is near to the person who is afflicted. And what's his conclusion? No, let him go on like that. Whatever you do with, God told him to do that. But let him go on with that because, perchance, this will mean that this will be a part of God's sovereign and moving toward me because he comes near in those times. Wow. Wow. And when you, when you are in suffering and you're reading the word and you draw those conclusions together, you don't have to sit there wondering whether God's at work in your life or not, right? And when you help people to see that and you help people to, 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 to mine those truths of the word and to live those truths of the word, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a, I mean, so you may be here with a few people on your path that you wish weren't on your path, okay? I've got a few people like that. Uh, that you minister to and you just wish that somebody else would have that responsibility. Uh, thank the Lord, too, for the times where you look at the people you're serving and you're like, man, you have really helped me to grow. You have really helped me to see my Savior. And then you remind yourself God blends that together uh, because he knows what he's doing in your life. So the Psalms provide us with patterns, pursuits, that become a way of life for us, and not just when we suffer, really a whole way of life. And then it's right to provide relief from suffering when we can do that without sinning, right? It is, it's right. It is right to relieve suffering when we can do that without sinning or without steering people away from faith in the Lord. But we will all, we all are and will work with people that the answer to their suffering is only going to be found in eternity.
uh, and we can still lead them to trust. And you think about this, okay? Growing, confident trust that expresses itself in loving, obedient praise always results in God's glory being reflected in us and in the people to whom we minister. And if the only audience for that is Christ, that's an audience that's enough, right? The people, I mean, sometimes, sometimes suffering limits people, you know, we're more aware of this now than we've ever been, limits people to pretty much being by themselves or maybe just with a few people, and they aren't able to do what they used to be able to do, and they, they, you know, I am not able to teach Sunday school, I'm not able to, I'm not able to, I'm not able to, which translates into I'm not really honoring the Lord the way I used to. No, 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 no. And those are, those are hard things to negotiate because some people use that as an excuse. I understand that. Uh, but, but anytime I'm living with the character of God, the character of Christ, and he's the audience of that, it brings glory to him. And helping the people find what's really true about that, where there's real meaning in that in life, is a is a is a joyous thing. And then I'm circling back around. Uh, I said this, and, and you can push back on me on this. Let me explain it first. We're not people sol- We're not people solvers. We're not that either. We're not po- problem solvers. We're people lovers. Now that doesn't mean you don't help people to find biblical solutions to problems in this life that can have solutions for them. Said another way. A little more bluntly, we're not the Savior, right? So when, when in the middle of suffering, a lot of times just from a heart that really cares, you, you, we hear people and we move too quickly to away from listening and learning so that we can wisely, uh, wisely prepare the word of God. I had, I had a six ounce, sorry, it's lunchtime. I had a six ounce medium rare ribeye last night, not ribeye, sirloin. I'm old, so it was only six ounces. Six ounce medium rare sirloin last night. That was fantastic. Oh my goodness. And it didn't happen because they brought the meat out to me on a plate and laid it in front of me and said, have fun with this. You know, they, it was picked carefully, I assume, and, and et cetera. And that's our role in people's lives and suffering. Learn them, understand them, not so we can give them what they want, but what we need. We don't hold back anything that's necessary. And we prepare the Word of God and we serve the Word of God. And when that happens and people grow, and some people reject it. Some people do. Some people reject it. But when they receive it in faith and they act in that faith, your faith grows. You know it. You've been there. Your faith grows. And so it's a path where we all grow together. If I can serve you in any way along the path, I, you know, if you want to talk all during lunch and not even go to lunch, I'm, I'm fine with that. But if I can serve you in any way, I would love to do that. I hope I've encouraged you. I don't know you, so maybe some of you are in this dark, hard place. Hopefully your heart is encouraged. And maybe you've got one or two people in your own heart now where you're like, maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, I'm not as far off as I thought I was. That's a good thing, right? You know, it seems like I ought to be able to solve this. Well, okay, if you can, great. But if you can't, you can still walk by faith. Uh, and then maybe, maybe we needed a little correction, too. I, every time I teach this, I'm like, mm. so let's pray together.